Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Springtime Kings Off Topsail. I'm going to be talking to Captain Jim Sabella of Plan 9 Charters out of the topsail area. We're going to be talking about when and where, gear and lure selection, and finally some trolling tips. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing news, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Saltwater Podcast Series, in which we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, this episode, I'm joined just as I am every episode, every endeavor, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, welcome to another episode. Hey, what's up, Gary? Good to see you, man. Uh, excited about this episode. Jim's always great guest, man. Always, always good time. So if it's half as fun as the pre-show has been, then it's going to be a great time. Yeah, man. He's uh, He likes to share. He likes to talk. He's He's easy, man. And he's seen a lot. But mostly, like I said, man, and, you know, he's an ambassador, man. He's he's here with us tonight because he truly wants to help people catch some springtime kings. Yeah, man, it's gonna be good, and he's the guy for it. So I'm excited, excited to let you guys get into it. And so I'll get into talking about our sponsors here for a minute. We got Bland Landscaping Company first up, uh, landscaping company here in the North Carolina area. They got companies, or their company actually stretches far and wide in the North Carolina state the state of North Carolina, I guess I should say. And they're looking for people, men and women who love the outdoors, who want to, who want to go to work there and uh, go to work early, get off early, be on the boat, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, they reached out to us, big fans of the show. So we appreciate Kurt and his team. Uh, we really look forward to the relationship this year. So Gary, if, um, if I ever fire you from Fisherman's Post podcast, you can, you got a job waiting on you. I'm sure they like you over there. Like that sounds like a pretty good life right now. Wake up, go to work, and then come home and leave work at work. Man, what, I don't even know what that would be like. I th- I mean, what's that, office space or something, man? I think I need to work on the crew, on the on the highway crew. Wait, I got a, I got a question before I sign this. Do you guys take out taxes, or am I going to pay those myself, or do I get to keep up with that, or you keep up with that? Oh, you, you keep do? up with that? You keep up with taxes? <laughs> and I don't get called at night, you know, looking to solve problems. Like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, right, man. Well, and then speaking of our next sponsor here, it will solve all your problems, all your boating problems. If you, one, like we don't have a boat, or two, you have a boat and need it fixed. Marine Warehouse Center, been with it for over 100 episodes, man. So crazy. Really appreciate those guys coming on board. I got a quick message from them, and we'll be right back. Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. All right, there you go, man. Good dudes. Sales, service, parts, good dudes. Dudes you want in your corner as we get ready to start the exciting 2022 boating and fishing season. Yeah, man, always down to, you know, in the fishing community, I think that's what we talk about a lot here on the podcast is just the community, the camaraderie, and really supporting everything, supporting a lot of fishing events, tournaments, the podcast, obviously, other events in our community. So they are uh, great to partner with and and also great to be a part of all these events. They fish all, you know, tournaments, fish post tournaments, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they're servicing the Wilmington, North Carolina area, Charleston, South Carolina area. And then, um, and I sometimes forget this, man, but they will ship all over the world. So, or most places, I should say, in the world. So if you are listening to this from afar, which I think, Gary, we we're over – I don't know, like 35 countries or something. Pretty cool. So call Marine Warehouse. If you can't find a part, maybe they can find it for you and ship it over there and wherever you're at over there, not near us. So yeah, just a reminder. Um, Terrell, uh, we might be reaching the end of this feature. I'm, I think Terrell is scraping the bucket, the bottom of the barrel, I mean, to come up with something. I, I think he might crack under the pressure. Uh, but again, you've been more forgiving 
than I have been. So maybe maybe you'll enjoy this one too. Are you ready for Terrell's joke, not mine? I'm ready, Gary, for Terrell's joke. Terrell's joke, not mine. What is so fascinating about the iceberg named Bluetooth? Uh, iceberg named Bluetooth? I have no idea. Any ship that goes near it will uh, sink. Sink. Like you sink a Bluetooth, you sink a ship. Uh, the best jokes are the ones you have to explain. When, I mean, everyone knows that. When I think about Bluetooth, I just think about really bad audio connections. That's all I think about. So, well, Bluetooth sync. You see, you sync your device via Bluetooth, and so that's why the joke was funny. Is that the iceberg sinks ships to the bottom of the ocean? But since it's called Bluetooth, we're talking about S Y N C. Isn't that the clever? See, again, the best jokes are the one you have to explain. Sorry, Terrell, that was over my head. You get it simple. I don't use the word sync. That's like oh, you're word. a tech guy. Uh, I sync my Bluetooth. Like, when's the last time someone said that? Like, connect Bluetooth. <laughs> I don't sync it. What are you talking about? We need, we need jokes for this country, okay? <laughs> but I do have a picture for this country, so maybe that'll redeem me because I do have a nice picture here. If I can bring it up, here we go. Here's Jody Nump with from Wilmington with a 34.8 pound king mackerel caught on a downrigger while slow trolling a cigar minnow near the mouth of the Cape Fear River in the shipping channel. So yeah, that's a that's a good looking fish there and uh, right there in the shipping channel. So pretty cool. I would not imagine somebody could catch a fish like that there, but I guess so. I mean, yeah, man. It's a hot spot. Kings are close. I think Sabella will talk to us about kings close, kings out a little bit. And I think that's one of the beauty of pursuing that species, man, is they can be like Spanish mackerel right off the beach. But then sometimes you got to travel further off. We'll hear what Sabella has to tell us about the habits of springtime kings. And uh, before I go and talk to Sabella, though, again, we're going to continue to plug, at least for a little bit, weekly fishing reports on the fishermanspost.com website. Those are weekly inshore fishing reports in this first year. You know, we figured that's what we could do well. We didn't want to overbite off a project we couldn't do well. And so if you go to fishermanspost.com, premium content, it is behind a paid wall and it isn't in print. The newspaper will remain monthly. The newspaper will remain free, but weekly fishing reports in an audio video delivery format, um, the whole coverage area, check it out. I'm excited about it. As I say, Fisherman's Post began back in 2003 weekly with weekly fishing reports. So it feels good to be getting back to a project that merges recent technology with our roots, man. Everything about it feels good. Yeah, man. It's awesome. And uh, Gary, you sent me the lineup of captains that are collaborating with us on this project. And I'm excited, man. I'm excited. A lot of past guests for the podcast. So it's going to be a good time to continue to have these conversations each week. So it's going to be good. So if you haven't, better go sign up now. And so our conversation after I finish talking with Sabella is Billy's best takeaway. So following this conversation where I try to get Sabella to talk, man, sometimes it's hard to get that guy to open up. After that, we're going to, you and I are going to talk about Billy's best takeaway. Sounds good. And I'll see you on the other side. All right. My pleasure. My pleasure to introduce Longtime friend, longtime Fisherman's Post contributor, schools, reports, everything, all of the above. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Captain Jim Sabella, Plan 9 Charters out of Topsail. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Gary. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I love doing anything that has to do with the Fisherman's Post. Well, man, I am looking forward to this. This is going to be an easy podcast for me. You are an old salt easy talker. So I'm mostly just going to get out of your way. However, before that happens, as is tradition, there's two questions before we get to the main event. Are you ready for question number one, sir? Ready. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a king mackerel? Uh, I have a lot of experience fishing on the uh, North Carolina coast, mainly for uh, king mackerel. Uh, one of the first fish I started fishing for, uh, I've got a long time experience. Uh, you know, I've got the gray hair to prove it. <laughs> you do. I'll, we will accept that piece of evidence. And which brings me to question number two, as it goes, is typically a non-fishing related question that continues here tonight. 
So Plan 9 Charters, your charter name is based on a science fiction movie, so I went to a, in a science fiction direction for this trivia question. Which, which of these movies, I'm going to read you four movies, which of these movies is in the top three science fiction movies of all time according to Empire Magazine, all right? Which of these four is in the top three of all time science fiction movies? E.T., The Matrix, 2001, A Space Odyssey, or Back to the Future? 2001, A Space Odyssey. It was actually a trick question. None of them are in the top three, which is what I thought was odd. Knowing that none of them are in the top three, take a guess at what might comprise the top three. Throw out another science fiction movie. Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back was number three. Alien was number two. And Blade Runner was the top science fiction movie of all time. Well, I, shoot, Blade Runner is actually one of my favorite uh, science fiction movies, and I feel bad that I didn't really think about that. But that, that is, hey, I go for that. Well, I'm not going to let us nerd out anymore. I'm going to switch <laughs> us back over to King Mackerel. And I think your first talking point is the logical one with Springtime Kings. I mean, everyone is sort of eager to start fishing, to start fishing with success, wondering about water temperature, wondering about it all. When is it time to go out there? So as far as the Springtime Kings, what is it that you look for that tells you it's time to start looking? Usually the Springtime Kings show up around the same time, maybe about a week or so later than the uh, Spanish do. Um, usually when the Spanish are here, I look for about 67 degree water out about say 15 to 20 miles and start to look in those areas, uh, for them. Usually around, it can be late April. Uh, usually it's, uh, early May. So 67 degrees. So the Spanish will show up a little bit before the 67 degree mark. Yeah, they usually show up. Uh, strangely enough, usually around 65 degrees inshore. Um, they're usually right on the heels of the uh, Atlantic Benito. Uh, so they'll, they'll show up right there when that, uh, that water temperature starts getting into the upper 60s. So, man, I have a lot of water temperature conversations, especially here in the springtime when, you know, we're waiting for a certain water temperature for fish to show. And I, I'm going to apologize in advance if this is a dumb question, but like, if we're looking for 67 degree water and we're looking for kings, that sounds like you have already sort of insinuated anywhere from beach to 20 miles, or, or maybe we have to go 15 to 20 miles. If it's 67 degrees on the beach, is it, can I plan on it being 67 degrees out 20 miles or how does water temperature vary in the springtime when you push further off? Usually uh, the water temperature is warmer as you get uh, off in the springtime you'll hit cold patches but usually they uh they warm up out there faster because you've got water getting pushed in from like the gulf stream and stuff like that um but uh and that deeper water a lot of times it holds the temperature a little bit better so are you looking for 67 degree water on the beach or are you looking for 67 degree water out at your 15 to 20 mile mark Usually out there, like 15 to 20 miles. Um, the, the, there'll be a mix of kings that come in with the Spanish right along the beach. But those fish are usually small fish. Uh, the little bit bigger fish, I'm looking out there in that 67-degree uh, water, usually in that 15, 20-mile range. So I'm guessing that you're spending – a fair amount of time off the beach anticipating the bite, looking for the bite, and or you're well connected with other friends that are doing the same thing. For my recreational angler that isn't spending a lot of time on the water is actually, you know, hopeful to get out there and isn't as well connected. How are they going to know that it's 67 degrees, 15 to 20 miles off the beach? What's their best resource for looking for that indicator? Uh, there's uh, the buoys. Uh, there's a few, uh, buoys that, uh, ILM one, two, and three, which are, uh, accessible through like fish weather, uh, that, that'll have water temperature. Um, there's the tower, 
um, frying pan tower that uh, usually you can find it on. Um, but uh, you can find it on a lot of other websites, uh, Saltwater, Central, um, you know, they all have uh, water temperature uh, out there far because there are some buoys and stuff out there. All right, man. And so before we get to like gear and lore, what I, what I better want to understand is it's springtime. You've seen something that looks promising on, you know, a buoy recording or word of mouth. And so we're, we are looking at that 67 degree mark. I'm on your boat. I'm heading out of one of the topsail inlets. Like, how do you determine what your plan is, man? Is it, do you have some spots in mind and we're keeping our eyes open on the way there? Or is it, really more visual related and you don't have spots in mind what goes through your i how do you set the plan for the day yes i have places in mind it'll be uh whether it's uh you know some ledges uh some places i've caught them in the past a lot of stuff that i have i know that uh this is where i've gone in april may and caught them uh 23 mile rock uh, is one of those places that it's, you know, it's every, from everywhere, everybody goes there, but there's uh, a lot of other places that, uh, have the same features and structures like off a of topsail, you have, um, uh, you know, the third set of box cars, uh, you have, um, uh, some of the ledges, the group of ledges that you fish, uh, out there the black grouper and uh um places like that um jerry's jesse's ledge you know places like that um you know even as close as say um off of uh north topsail uh the 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 weather buoys the letter buoys out there like the uh g buoy and stuff like that that are out there in a little bit deeper water so I guess basically for again for the recreational guy who doesn't have a thousand marks in his machine from the time on the water, I mean he can pretty much go to any one of the established marks, like anything that you can find online. I mean, ideally you troll around and start adding machine marks to your machine, but there's plenty of spots visibly noted, publicly aware, which would serve as a good place to start. Absolutely. Uh, anything on one of the grease charts nowadays you can buy those charts that you can actually plug them right into your machine and they'll have a lot of those numbers um, chip berries um, the the old grease charts that we've always used out there those will have plenty of numbers look for stuff in the uh, 60 to 80 foot water depth range um, once you get out to about 60 feet of water, which is about 10, 12 miles offshore, start looking for the water temperature on your uh, fish finder. You know, you, sh you know, anybody, you know, out there with an offshore boat should have a good uh, working uh, temperature gauge. And when you see that, when you, you know, look for those water temperatures out at those spots. So is it, does it happen in the springtime that you'll have a plan of heading to a certain spot and, you know, other than water temperature, will you see anything that makes you say, wait a second, I'm, we're going to stop here. We're not going to go all the way to the, my original plan. Is there anything other than water temperature that might get you to pull off plane and check an area out? Sure. Uh, good, good, clean water. Um, you know, like that dark, clean green, like the what they call king green. Um, just, uh, if I start to see big pods of bait on my machine, you know, uh, you know, you're not going to fish in a desert, you know, you want to see that there's food around, uh, just, uh, you know, anything, a, a couple birds, um, hitting the water just, uh, in a, in a spot where usually they're around structure, you know, uh, it's going to be where you want to be keyed in on structure. So, you know, if you see the birds working, stuff like that, definitely, you know, it's worth a stop and make a little bit of a pass through there and at least see if you start to see the life that you want to see. And what are the what, types of, okay. what are the types of bait pods that you'll see that type of year? Like what bait is moving through that you would either see visibly or see on the machine? Uh, usually uh, big, uh, 
big minnows like uh, silver sides. Uh, you'll see, uh, you know, some. Uh, uh, not, you're not going to see menhaden really out there. You're going to see more like uh, cigar minnows, Spanish sardines. You know, those they're all starting to come in at that same time. So I'm going to say since we're – this is going to be my segue. Since we're not going to see a bunch of menhaden, I'm guessing this isn't – the springtime kings off topsail isn't a live bait trip. I'm guessing you're pulling some lures, some artificials. So let's use this as our segue into – what you like to pull behind the boat once you have an area you have some confidence in. Okay. So once I get out there and especially in the early season, I like to pull stuff that allows you to pull faster because you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to slow down. The fish are going to be scattered. They're not going to be, um, they're not going to be uh, in one area. So of course, like the good old standard, this is a number eight planer. I usually fish a couple of rods with planers. This is a number eight. I'll go up as big as the number 12 planer, just something to get down. Cause you might not be seeing 67 on the top, but down below you might mark a thermal climb where you have a, you know, a temperature change down below uh, behind these. I'm going to be pulling drone spoons. Uh, these are, good old reliable uh king lures uh usually i'll pull those on a on some heavy gear um you know something like this is a 60 this is a 40 with a 80 pound braid and this is on a pretty stiff rod um that's what i'll be using with the planers and then up top with light tackle i'll be pulling Yuzuri deep divers. Uh, these will get down around 12, 15 feet. Uh, hey, these, anything with a big lip, something shiny. Kings are uh, definitely reaction strike fish. Um, even stuff like stretch 20s. These right here, you know, you can pull these uh, up four, four to six knots, which is what I'm going to be pulling uh, all this stuff at in the early season when I'm looking in those types of places. Okay. So I definitely had some follow-up questions and you've already answered one was four to six knots is sort of your target speed there in the springtime. Yes. And you say in large part, that's because the fish aren't schooled, the fish are scattered. So it, it helps to cover water to try to find fish more in the springtime than other times of the year. Yes. So, I mean, you're going to be, you, you know, when, when, when you start trolling in this area, you've seen something or you're going to an area where you've heard reports. So, you know, fish have tails and they don't have addresses. So I want to be able to move around fast and be able to cover a lot of ground. I mean, you know, once, and then, you know, uh, at four knots, at five knots, I'm covering a lot more ground than slow trolling at, you know, barely uh, in gear. All right. So now we're going to back up and talk about your spread more. Um, you definitely wet our whistle, but I know my, I believe my listeners, viewers uh, like specifics. So let's first talk about the planer setup. So you'll run two planer rods. That's if we're, and I, I don't know what you like to do, but let's just imagine if you were, doing a four rod spread mm -hmm. two of them what you think would be planers absolutely two planers uh and i pulled two different size planers usually uh like i said a number eight or a number 12 and then either a number three or a number four and then leader wise behind the planer you like to run how long and what pound tests leading to those drone spoons 25 feet uh, I like either 60 or 80, something uh, that when you go to leader the fish, it doesn't cut into you. The thinner lines will cut into you. And also with, a, with one of those big planers, you don't want to go with light line because when the fish hits and that planer sets, uh, a lighter, lighter uh, leader will snap. But 25 feet a leader to my... 
Okay, and I understand. I mean, I understand the concept between two different size planers. So you're covering different depths of the water column. If you're having them troll at different depths, are they different distances back behind the boat as well? Yes. Uh, what I do is I set my my rods. Uh, anytime I'm using a planer, is I count I count them back, and I try to pull my deeper planer closer to the boat and my uh, shallower planer further from the boat, but I don't pull them far back. Uh, my deep planer might be a six or an eight count, like a six Mississippi or an eight Mississippi count. And my deep planer, my shallow planer might be uh, a, a 10 to 15 Mississippi count, depending on, uh, on you know water conditions and stuff like that you don't want to pull those planers way far back because the further a planer goes back the shallower it actually runs and then i'm sure there's a logical answer but i love to ask the question why why the deeper planer closer to the boat uh when you make it a turn and stuff like that i like the uh i just like it to be closer it's just a personal thing uh also, if, uh, you know, the, I find that the deeper planer sometimes catches first fish and then, you know, when it comes up, I don't want to have to deal with the heavy planer with so far out behind the boat. And then I, I guess um, just to follow up on distance. So your counting system makes sense to me and, you know, I, I like that simplicity. So the way you have it, though, is it like the deeper planer is closer and then the lure is like 25 feet off the deeper planer. So is the second planer actually in the water behind the lure of the first planer? Is that how that count system works or is it pretty close? It usually, it's usually, uh, it's usually far enough away that it's not going to come in contact with it. Um, you know, that's, that's just, uh, it's going to be, remember that, that one planer is going to be down, like say 30 feet where the other planer is only going to be up, be down about 25 feet, 20 feet. So you're not going to have to worry so much about where the lure is in relation to the planer. And then about drone spoons, like everything, there's so many different colors, different sizes that you can purchase. It can be overwhelming looking at a tackle aisle. Like, I think you held up two different colors. Are those, do you have much preference when it comes to color? Does color matter? And then how are you on figuring out what size drone spoon to start the season with? It's generally uh, for Kings. Uh, I'm trolling the three and a half. That's the size this is. This is a three and a half drone spoon. Um, if you can see it on the back there. There we go. Um, I like this color green. Also, I like uh, red with the silver, uh, pink with the silver. Um, you know, uh, some days, you know, I, 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 I like white, but I seem to catch more on the silvers. All right, so now we're going to go to our follow-up questions on the deep divers. So they're going to be out beyond the planers. Right. And I guess the same question about size and color when we're talking about deep divers. Uh, so this one's pretty beat up, but um, this is uh, what they call the clown color, which is a really popular color. Um, good old red and white. That's always uh, a popular color. Uh, pink. Uh, purple i'll pull you know different colors like i like a purple plug in the morning and then as the sun comes up i might change it out to like a, a, a red and a white or a pink um uh in the early season i don't do as much with uh the uh say the like a chartreuse type plug they tend to work a little bit better when it gets uh warmer i find um but uh, those are the ones. And uh, Yuzuri makes uh, three different sizes. And I like either pulling the medium size one or the big one. 
um, for the for the kings. And then, are those deep divers? Are they pulling about a little bit shallower than your what three to four number three or four planer? No, they'll be they'll be pulling they'll they'll be pulling probably around twelve feet, fifteen feet at the max. You know that that's there, so they're up higher than everything else, and they're going to be back a lot further than everything else too. So I didn't ask about this, but I, I guess I hadn't thought about this, and so I'm going to relate it to a deep diver question. So the further back a planer is, the less deep it pulls, and I guess, do you happen to know why? I mean, I guess it's physics. Do you happen to know why? And then is it the same true with deep divers? Like the further back, the shallower they pull or do they work differently? So the reason why the planer tends to float that I can figure is the more line you have out, the line is actually acting as uh, uh, a float. So it's more water pressure and stuff like that. And it, because it's down, it starts to lift it up. So, um, you know, if you're using a thicker line, so it, the more you have out, it's starting to float. Um, with the deep divers, uh, I'm usually pulling those out of like my T-top or so they're up higher so you don't have as much line in the water. And usually I'm pulling the deep divers with whoops, one of my uh, standard live bait lids. So they're bitten pulled on a lot lighter tackle, uh, you know, 20 pound test. So they're, uh, it's a little bit uh, lighter gear. So they don't have as much worry about the float from the uh, heavy line. So when I'm pulling a deep diver, what is the scenario that causes that thing to like skip, to like pull out of the water? Am I not back far enough? Am I trolling too fast? Am I with waves, against waves? Like, I, you know, that seems to happen. And then how, how do you solve it? So I had this the other night. I talk about this all the time. Um, I'm trying to see if I could get it where it shows it. Um, you see the split ring, there's a solid ring, right? Um, that that split ring is part of? Yes. Okay. With that solid ring, if the plug has a tendency to skip out to one side or the other, you have to take a needle nose pliers and just impart just a little bit of pressure on that solid ring the fixed ring opposite the way that it skips out of the water okay there we go so it's that simple so it's not my speed or even how far back i have it it's just something has happened to the solid ring that just needs a little correction yes yes um all right it's not you know a lot of people it's it's you have to just it's it's not like you're going to sit there and crank that thing over. You're just going to put a little bit of pressure uh, and sort of just try and move it just a little bit the opposite direction. So you got to have to make sure that you're watching, you know, which way it skips out. So we've already been touching on trolling tri tips before I go further into trolling tips. I guess I'll ask like I kind of forced you into a four rod setup explanation is that what you like to do, or are you running more than four? Uh, usually, I only run four. Um, I find that it's, you know, I've covered all the water column. Um, I've covered all what I think that those fish are going to be. Um, I don't have as much luck on the fishing stuff at the surface uh, during that time. So I don't really try to keep anything up at the top. So four rods is plenty. All right. Well, what, what else can you share with my listeners, my viewers, as far as trolling tips go? We've got our spread out. We've got confidence in the area. Like what is it that you want to make sure you do? What is it you want to make sure you don't do? Okay. One thing that I always do is I'm always turning. Um, it's another reason why my spread is set up that way so that I can turn – 
uh, you know, and make, uh, you know, fairly tight turns. You don't have to turn like, you know, 90 degrees every time, but I like to make sure that I'm turning. I like to go and make sure that I've tried fishing upwind, downwind, cross current. You know, I want to make sure that I try every direction that, uh, that I can. So basically, if you want to think of it as north, south, east, and west, troll north, troll south, troll east, troll west. Um, some people troll uh, what they call a box pattern. They'll troll for, you know, a minute, one direction, turn, troll a minute, another direction, turn, troll a minute, another direction, turn, troll a minute, another direction. And then they'll go two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, so that you're covering an entire area and looking to see, uh, you know, which way the fish are biting and which way the fish are, uh, where they're holding. And remember, you know, the other good thing to do is remember where you had a bite. Depending on, uh, on how you run your machine, you can hit the man overboard button and then clear those at the end of the day. Um, you could hit, you know, a mark button if you're marking, you know, marking some structure or something. And the other thing I do is I'm out in water temp water depths that like I might want to fish for something else some other time of the season. So I'm always looking for new structure uh, that I might not have on my machine. It's a great way how to find like structure for grouper fishing, sea bass fishing, whatever you like to do. So if you, if you hook a fish, then I'm guessing you're going to drag back over that. You're going to find your way to drag back over that spot. So my question is more like if you're not finding fish, you're covering water and you haven't found a fish, will you ever cover the same water twice just to be sure? Or you cover it once, whatever kind of pattern you employ. And if you don't find it on a first pass, it doesn't warrant a second pass. If I find, if I saw the bait or if I saw something there, that made me think if I marked some fish, you know, if I, if I marked some fish that I saw that they were, you know, what I would, what you, what you, you know, relate to as Kings, I would definitely make a pass in another direction until I figured out maybe they're just not eating. But uh, if, if, if I see the environmental conditions, right, I would try it. I would try going over a spot in another direction. And I mean, I was actually like thinking about conditions, maybe just in a little bit different way than you mentioned with environmental conditions. Like as far as the springtime goes, if we're isolated on the springtime, is there a pattern that you see as in like early in the morning, middle of the day, late in the afternoon, trolling, you know, with the current, with the waves, trolling against the current, against the waves? I mean, I know anything can happen on any given day, but I know you also try to pay attention to patterns. Any, anything that you've noticed sort of historically about predictable behavior in the springtime? Uh, predictable behavior overall, fish uh, feed into the current. Um, so if you know which way the current's moving, if you feel which way the wind's going, the fish usually face into that because it brings the food to them. They expend less energy. Uh, so most of the times you'll notice that your hits come when you're either heading towards them or heading across the fish. Um, you don't get a lot of fish when you pull lures from, you know, uh, when you attack them with the lures, you know, usually, usually fish are not, you know, are not used to, uh, you know, bait fish, uh, attacking them. Coming up so, from behind. Right. You know, uh, now if you got a fish that's hold, you know, if you, if you fish are holding down at like 50 feet and all your stuff is at 30 feet, the fish will move up in that. But like, if you're marking stuff at 50 feet, if you're marking stuff at 30 feet and all your stuff's down there at 30 feet, it doesn't, uh, you know, the, the bait fish can also see the big fish. So they're going to be trying to avoid them. A lot of times, like I said, it's like a cross current works good because that's a fish fleeing or something like that. But 
you know, you don't want to, you don't want to lure, you know, attack the fish with your lures. All right. So for the next line of questioning, I'm going to imagine that you actually know what you're talking about and that this advice is going to work for someone and they are going to hook a spring king. What do they do next? Once they once a fish is on, they have generated a strike. What do they do? Okay, so you're you two types of gear. You're going to deal with deal with two different types of strikes. Um, if you get a bite on a planer, um, the rod the planer is usually going to trip, and depending on the size of the fish, it might just come to the surface or pull a little bit of drag. Um, I usually keep the boat heading straight and you know get somebody on the rod and once that person picks up the rod i might make a little bit of uh a jag to one side or the other just to see if i can get another fish to strike on, on something you know a lot of times they'll hit the deeper bait first and then they'll come up and you know everybody sees one fish eat and they'll come up and attack the other one. So I, I don't worry about bringing in another line uh, until that fish is made a run or uh, I've got that fish under control. And so I guess what I'm hearing is if it's a strike on the planer rod, you maintain the same speed. And then at, at any point, I mean, maybe when the, when the planer is to the rod tip or something, is there any point where you back off or you're going to stay at that four to six knot mark? through gaff and through fish over the gunnel well if usually with a fish on the uh on the planer rod i don't uh gaff the fish i usually uh hand line the fish and usually with 80 pound test you know the spring kings are not uh you know 40 pounders you know they're usually schooly fish six to ten you know 10 pounds maybe the most you know so i'll just usually grab the, you know, grab the leader and sling the fish into the boat. Uh, I usually do that on the, on the first fish until I see the, uh, the, uh, how, how, uh, good my crew is. Now, if we hook a bigger fish, uh, then I'll have, I'll bring that fish in and then gaff it. But most of the time, you know, you're bringing it in, slinging it over the side and try to sling it into the cool, keep everybody away from it. So how does the how does the sequence of events change if it's a deep diver bite? Okay, on a deep diver bite, I'm going to make a turn. Usually I'm going to turn uh into wherever the fish is hit because I want to when you turn into the bite, the line that is towards the fish will go away from the boat and I will uh try to clear the uh the big, the heavier rod, the lighter rod, uh, after a few seconds, after the fish has made a run, let them run. Cause the lighter rods, they're going to be able to run. Uh, once they're tire out, then I'll have somebody work to bring in the, uh, the deep diver rod. That's not bit. And usually then I will slow down a little bit on the, on the, on those rods because, uh, I want to be able to keep the fish, off the side of the boat, you know, we're going to have to fight that fish a little bit more on that rod than we would on the planer rod. Um, that's good, man. So I guess we're at the point where I say, I mean, I, I think we've covered it all, but like if someone is, is excited to give this a try, they just want to get the boat offshore. They want to get the trolling spread out. And of course they'd like to hook some fish while they're getting ready for a season. What are the, what's like the top three things you, I guess you would say to keep in mind if you're looking for success with springtime Kings? Uh, be willing to move. Uh, if you're not, if you're not getting the bites, if you're not getting the, if you're not seeing what you, uh, what you want to see move. Uh, if you've clean, if you fish that area good and now you feel like it's uh you know, you just doesn't have it move, you know, go a little bit deeper Maybe uh, you've got something in the, in close to the area that's still uh, that, you know, maybe a half a mile away, you know, a mile away, troll towards that area, you know, go, don't, don't get stuck on one spot, you know, uh, 
because you know the fish might literally be at the next ledge um then uh you know uh be be willing to change colors be willing to change your spread you know if the i mean there was there's been days when uh i wound up pulling in the number the big planers and you know went to like number two planers with big clock spoons and that you know got me bites because the fish were on a smaller bait or you know there was uh you know smaller fish in the area um and just uh you know you can find a lot of places uh at this time of the year and you know sometimes it just takes you to go you know get out of your comfort zone you know you might have caught them at 23 mile rock every year for the past 10 years and this year they're not at 23 mile rock so you know you might find yourself a new honey hole you know just go off and look on you look on your chart you know put in a number go to that number looking for the same you know water depth uh, you know, if you know where the temperature is, you know, same thing, just look for that type of stuff. All right. And then this is going to, I promise, be my last question. You're almost through this podcast. The last question would be, we've been talking about springtime Kings. So, you know, quickly, cause we're not looking to start another podcast. If we are transitioning into summer Kings, like how do, how do the King behavior change in the summer or how does targeting this fishery change in the summer? And I promise I'm just looking for a quick answer. I'm not looking for you to start another podcast. Usually uh, in the summertime, the fish are uh, established in a spot and they're going to be in that area, in that water depth. Uh, and so you're going to be able to change to dead bait or live bait fishing. All right. That is a succinct answer. I am through my questions. Captain Jim Sabella. Plan 9 Charters out of the Topsail area. Always a good time talking to you. And thank you once again for sharing your insight, sharing your knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate the opportunity, as always. And then go go look at Blade Runner, man. How long has it been since you've seen Blade Runner? Ooh, probably about 10 years. All right, you're due. That's your homework. That's my homework for you. I've You've given me and Billy homework. I just gave you homework. Okay. I will. I will. I mean, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I get a few hours tomorrow night. I mean, uh, <laughs> watch it on my phone. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good time, Sabella. I'm already looking forward to next time. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Billy Thorpe. When was the last time you saw Blade Runner? Uh, I don't know, man. Long time. I might Me too. Have, I couldn't guess I either. Might have to go hang out with Jim and sit near his phone and watch it. Since yeah, a, I think I think in a while. I would like to go king fishing with Jim, but I think watching a science fiction movie with him might be just as entertaining. Yeah. I mean, Plan 9 Charters is a science fiction movie. Plan 9 is. So, I'm guessing it's a pretty good nerd out scene watching a science fiction movie with him. I'm guessing. Yeah, or or best of both worlds, Gary, you get on his boat, he does all the work, you watch <laughs> Phone, he hooks a fish and then you pause it, you reel it in, and then you continue. I'm on. watching Blade Runner on my phone while he's trolling around looking for a king. Yeah. And when we hook one, I can say, Oh, this is a good part of the movie. You go ahead and catch that one. Exactly. And actually, it's not his phone because you don't, it's, it's not your phone, it's his phone because you don't want to use your data. So oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I like this. I like this plan. I, I just thought of a theme for my fishing trips in 2022. Watch me watch this movie while you catch all the fish. Just tap me on the shoulder when we really have a bite. Not when we think we have a bite. Just tap me on the shoulder when we have a bite. Just tap me on the shoulder when you're ready for me to hold it for the picture. <laughs> you do. What's your best <laughs> takeaway? Oh uh, man, I get a couple of them, but you know, one thing I think you said that, and this is in a lot of fish. I mean, I'm not gonna say all fishing because I haven't fished for all species, but a lot of species of fish that I have fished for is that they face into the current and, and the food brings it to them. So it's like find the current, figure out which way it's going, and fish against it. Don't don't fish with it. So I thought that was just like a good reminder for some people. And then 
I'm often confused when I'm offshore. I'm like, this is a huge ocean. Like, how in the heck do you navigate and think of, you know, where do you troll? Where do you go? And so I think the the square pattern, like the one minute round each way, two minute round each way, three minute round. I'm like, okay, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good mental, like, at least I'm doing something. I just don't feel like I'm out here in the middle of the ocean with no agenda, you know? So it gives me a little plan. So I always think about that. I'm like, man, how do these guys find this stuff? But anyway, so yeah, there you go. I'm just solid. My real lack of uh, knowledge when it comes to offshore fishing or near. Billy, this is your year. Something tells me this is your year to become more familiar. I'm just going to go get a boat from Marine Warehouse Center get my captain's license and call myself a guide. It worked for podcasting. I wasn't a podcast. <laughs> People believe we're podcasters. Why couldn't they believe you're a charter captain? Oops on you guys. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, Billy's charters. Here we go. No, I'm just messing. But yeah, man, great episode. Learned a lot. I'm Once again, I'm not very versed in any of that kind of fishing. So it's all knowledge to me, but that was couple of things I thought, okay, maybe maybe someone in my position, you could take that away and, and do something with it. So, And yeah. you should buy a boat from Marine Warehouse Center, man. We are yeah. ecstatic to continue that relationship. Proud of that relationship, actually. And uh, 100 episodes they've been with us. Uh, remind me, what, what did we get them as a gift for the 100th episode? I forget what we bought them. <laughs> Class X. We're a couple of Class X. I mean, you're in Puerto Rico. It's on me for not going by with a present. It's on me. So I'm, I'm clowning myself more than I'm clowning you. Yeah. We're going to tear all joke writing workshop. I'm sure there's some of those, you know, that guy's horrible stages. We'll book him on a couple comedy stages. He's horrible. (laughs) Terrell, jeez, man, you're ruining our ship now. Actually, and then Bland is- Landscape. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug Bland Landscape. And again, yeah, yeah. the springtime's coming. Do you want to be doing yard work, or do you want to be on the boat? Call Bland Landscaping. And if you're not happy with your employer, if you're not happy with what you feel like isn't a career, it's more of a job, then talk to Bland Landscaping about careers, not just jobs. That's right. I'm calling you, Kurt. I got you, man. I'm go- Gary's over here making me work hard on this podcast for peanuts. I'm coming over. Here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gary. It's a gr- great show, man. Appreciate you. And we'll see you in the next one. All right.